Catalyst Church, you probably have heard us, I mean, we've got lots of catchphrases and stuff, but you may have heard us say occasionally, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but with God, we do take seriously. You know, it's, it's a fine statement, but what do we actually mean when we say that? Well, my take on it is, is that when we say we don't take ourselves too seriously, is that, well, we recognize that we're flawed, you know, we make mistakes, we're failed at times, we make gaffes, we make mistakes sometimes, and more often, it's unintentional, okay? And that we have an occasion sometimes to irritate and annoy one another. Not deliberately, but it's just what we do. We're prepared to look foolish for the sake of the gospel. You know, we're prepared to take a risk, to take a chance for the sake of Christ. And if we fall flat on our face, then so be it. But we will do it nonetheless. So we're not so uptight about ourselves. We don't take ourselves seriously. You know, my ego can take a walk, okay, for the sake of Christ. And we extend grace to one another again and again. So we don't take ourselves too seriously. When we say that we take God seriously, what we're saying is that that we, we who call ourselves followers of Jesus, and we call ourselves Christians, we're serious about following everything that Jesus commands us to do. We want to be people of the book. We want to read it diligently. We want to ask for his guidance, his leading. Holy Spirit, illuminate what this says and help me to live by it. And we do our best in the context of the 21st century to try and be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Being guided by spirit, by the word. And so when we say we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take God seriously, that's basically what we mean. Okay, so that's my take on it. And with that, I want to take the opportunity this morning, and it's going to be a very topical uh, sermon I want to open up a particular practice here at Catalyst Church. Not just at Catalyst. I mean, it's a universal practice across every church in some shape or form, and that is the practice of baptism. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I'd sent out an email saying that we were going to be talking about this because come Easter Sunday, it's become, if you like, almost a tradition whereby it's our baptismal service as well, whereby... Those of us who feel, yeah, God has sent me, it's time. We're going to head down to the, the River Don, and we're going to baptize people in accordance with Scripture. So, but I wanted to open up, first of all, well, what do we mean when we talk about baptism? What does it mean? You know, I want to start at the foundations and ask the questions. Well, what is it? What does it mean? And is it still relevant? You know, we can all have quirky traits and ways of doing things, even within our own families, ourselves, but even within the church as well. You know, baptism is perhaps one of the most ancient and maybe in some ways the most unusual practices as you're looking at it from outside saying, what on earth are they doing as you walk across the Dawn Bridge? <laughs> you know, sometimes you find that when you've been doing something for so long, you forget the 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 why, why and the what and what's the purpose of it? It reminds me of a story, and you, you may have heard this one before. 
It's a story about a, a young woman who had just moved out of home uh, and she moved into her own place, a beautiful house and had all the mod cons and a fantastic kitchen. And to say thank you to her family for helping her to move and to move in, she said, Mum, I'm going to do Christmas dinner this year for everybody and I want everybody to come over to me like they often come over to you. I said, wonderful dear, that's wonderful, yeah, that's great. And so Christmas Day came and everyone all arrived and uh, she disappeared in the kitchen and nobody ever saw her. And the hours went past and past and past. Everybody's getting back quite hungry. And I was like, what on earth is she doing? And then suddenly the kitchen door busts open. She says, Mum, Mum, oh, I need your help, come quick. And so Mum goes into the kitchen and the daughter, she breaks down over the counter and says, Mum, how do you do it like this? It's never going to be ready. It won't be, it'll be midnight before everybody eats. I've done it exactly like you have done it. I've, I've cut the, all the legs off the chicken. I've cut it into portions. I've, I've put it, divided it between two trays. The, the first one is in the oven now, and then oh, it's nearly finished. And then the other one needs to go in, but that will be cooled. And then, Mum, why do you make it so difficult? And her mum said, oh, goodness me, what? I only did it like that because our oven wasn't big enough. You've got enough for two in there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sometimes we do things by rote without even thinking about it. And it's good to stop and think, well, why? Why does the church practice baptism? What is it all about? Why does it need to go through this elaborate gesture? What does it all mean? Well, when it comes to baptism, it pays to be informed. Especially when Scripture puts such a high emphasis on it in the life of a believer. You know, Jesus set out our mission statement for the church universally, globally, at the end of Mark's gospel, didn't he? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Again, he says in Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So it begs the question this morning, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? If so, have you been baptized? And with that, we're going to open up the scriptures and we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 32. To 41. Um, Robert, my dapper gentleman, would you uh, be our Bible monitor this morning? If you don't have a Bible at home, Robert would be delighted to give you one to keep. But if you do have one at home, you can always give us back at the end. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, reading verses 32 to 41. It will come up on the screen as well. So with that, let us read. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what, he, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be sure of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wonderful. Just to set that in context, that when Peter was speaking, that was following the moment of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come down and they were all baptized in the Spirit in the upper room and they went out and they preached to a whole crowd of people who were there. You know, the root of the word baptism comes from the Greek baptismo. And it means, basically, to, to plunge, to, to soak, to saturate. It's associated with the idea of a ship sinking under the water to dip a cup under the surface of the water or a liquid, basically it means an awful lot of water. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, when you begin to think about baptism, you might begin to see a correlation across every culture, globally, recognizes the significance of some kind of ritual cleansing or washing. The idea of ceremonial cleansing is a universal concept in, in the human psyche, if you like. We recognize its worth and its symbolic significance across every culture. But we, as a church, as Christians, we are informed, influenced, if you like, by the history of Israel. And it's that to we owe our initial understanding and the concept of baptism itself. You know, when you look in the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, you see the, the ordination of Aaron and his sons to the, the priesthood in Exodus 29. And there you see them being publicly washed before they put on the sacred grounds in which they can then minister and intercede on behalf of the nation. And again, if you look at the whole book of Leviticus, its, it's emphasis, its, its purpose is on cultivating this whole idea of holiness for the people of God in Israel and how cleanliness and the washing and the rituals that surrounded that were closely tied to that whole idea. You know, the old adage, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's a bit misused and a bit often taken out of context, but... Where it, drew, where it originated from was all rabbinic uh, sayings and writings. It drew a strong connection between cleanliness and holiness, and certainly in the context of the ritual washing that was performed in ancient Israel. And even prior to the temple period, we see foreshadows of the, the idea of baptism happening even as the people passed through the Red Sea. They were slaves, and as they passed through the waters, though they were dry right enough, they did come out the other side, and it signified a change, a transformation for the people. The same again as they crossed the Jordan, and they became a free people. 
The other thing, I, the idea is that the ocean and the seas were synonymous with death, the grave, a place of oblivion from which nothing ever returned. Hence the importance of the sign of Jonah when Jesus referred to it. It was a metaphor of his death, but also of his resurrection as well. When Jonah was swallowed up by the depth, before he was swallowed up by the fish, <laughs> but by God's grace and power, he was rescued. And the thing is, these themes belong to the people of God. These particular practices help them forge their sense of identity, their unity, and their distinction from the surrounding nations as well. So baptism is three things. It's a bath, it's a burial, and it's a badge of belonging. So it's a bath. I say a bath in the sense that the whole person was submerged, was cleansed, was, went under the water. The person had this idea of being made clean. And the form of baptism that we follow after is that which was instigated by John the Baptist. It tells us in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. You know, John had his favorite spot in the Jordan. I've never visited it myself, but obviously, just like the, the dawn, the shallow bits, <laughs> sometimes you struggle to find a deep bit, <laughs> but he certainly had found a deep bit where he could uh, perform the act of baptism. And those who heard his, mes uh, his message were convicted. They were struck to the core, and they went down to the Jordan confessing their sins, saying, I want to belong to the kingdom of God. I know I've been chasing this thing or that thing or that thing or that other thing. I want to turn my mind, my heart, my whole self back to God. And so they confessed their sins before John and he led them into water and he baptized them. And they were literally plunged under the water and they came back up, cleansed from their sins and from their former life. You know, it reminds me of when I was at primary school. I can still remember that far back. But I remember this, this one is forever seared in my memory. Um, we were coming back from school like you do with your gang of pals, and uh, we took a detour from the usual route, and uh, the, um, the flats, the tenements that were up from the street from us were being renovated. Not just the buildings themselves, but the back courts were being transformed as well. But there was midway through it, and it was basically a, a mud field, a building site, and nobody was ever supposed to go there. Certainly not primary age kids, but being in P6, 7, well, you know what it's like. We're going to go this way. And so we did, and we trudged through this building site, and it was like this thick clay mud that seemed to start off quite well. It just came up over the toes of your shoes, and as you went further in, it got higher and deeper. And we actually thought it was quite funny as we continued this march through this field of mud. The funniest bit was that one of our mates fell in one of these holes the HJVs had dug, and it was filled with water and mud, <laughs> completely plastered, and we laughed at him and pointed at him and sent him on his way home. So we continued our march <laughs> to this. And as our friends each veered off to go to their various homes, it dawned on me, I'm getting closer to home, and uh, I'm not looking particularly respectable. And the fun and the joy began to leave me, and the sense of dread and fear 
as I get closer to home. Literally, it was, it was up over my knees. You couldn't, I couldn't even discern that I had a shoe on. It was like a blob of mud. <laughs> and uh, as I came into a nice, tidy street, I was leaving this huge trail of muck and filth <laughs> behind me. I was like, oh no, what have I done? I was covered in it. And I was trying to think, how on earth can I sneak into the house? I can't. I need that. Oh. And I remember my mum opening the door. I, mean, I, can't, I won't repeat what she said. But she wasn't, very, she wasn't too pleased with me. And in that moment, I felt, well, as you might, shame, guilt, embarrassment. Oh, I'm sorry, Mum. The relief was when she ran a bath. And for my part, in that moment, I felt changed. I felt clean. I felt like a new person. However, there was one thing that was lingering, and that was a sense of guilt. I could still, I remember coming back all nice and clean, and my dad was sitting on the back doorstep chipping what was, used to be a shoe <laughs> of mud. You know, it wasn't until later life that I realized that, you know, we can have a bath, but there's only one person that can cleanse us inside, and that is Jesus. And so the idea of baptism being a bath is exemplifying. It's an external symbol of an internal reality. It's when we come to realize who can clean the filth on the inside. Jesus can. And Jesus, I want you to wash me clean. And when we go forward for baptism, it is recognizing that, that we are washed, we are cleansed by him. Cleansed of the filth and the guilt and the things of the past. And we're created brand new. You know, I think there's a nod to this. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, remember in the upper room? And Peter being all hoity-toity and very proud, he says, oh, Jesus, you cannot wash me. You must not wash me. Jesus said, well, Peter, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part in me. Then he changed his chin. He said, well, Jesus, wash all of me then. <laughs> it's the same for us. Jesus wants to wash us in the inside. He wants to wash us completely of all the former things. And we do that in baptism. As I said, it's an external symbol of an internal reality. I've been cleansed by Jesus. I said that baptism is also an act of burial as well. It's the burial of a former life. In the old, the washing rituals of the Old Testament, there were some rituals whereby the person was encouraged to wash in running water, in fresh water. Or usually when it was been uh, involved skin conditions or diseases or illness, there was a sense of the, the, the sickness and the disease being washed away. And yet, even in the, the River Jordan, when John takes folk down to the Jordan, though it's specifically to do with uh, their sins, there's still that concept, that idea, as they, they step into the flowing rivers of the Jordan, something has been carried away. Aside from the rich history that's associated with the Jordan, that idea of the flowing water added to the symbolism of it being like a grave. The person went down under the water. And as if that person that, who went down to the water is washed away, that person is gone forever, never to be seen again. And the person who comes up out of the depths 
as the new creation, as the new person. You know, and the prophet Micah says, he will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities and he will cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. It's a powerful metaphor that speaks of God casting something into the depths, never to be seen again. It's an affirmation that the, the former life is gone forever, never to return. You know, when we go down under the water, we see reflections almost of the story of Jonah. Remember the disobedient servant who wouldn't want to go to Nineveh, so he set off to Tarshish, and then God said, well, no, you're not, you're not going to, this is what the deal is. And so he was thrown overboard and he sunk to the depths. And as far as Jonah was concerned, that was him. He was finished, he was sinking to the depths. He was dead. But God rescued him and he returned from the depths. And he was an obedient servant who went off and did what God had asked. But in truth, we're not replaying the story of Jonah. We're replaying, in a sense, it's almost like one of those um, crime watch reconstructions. You know, when we get baptized, we're, we're looking back to what Jesus did for us. He died, he was buried, but he was resurrected. As Paul writes in Colossians 2, 12, you are buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. It's an act of putting to death the old self, the corrupted nature, the wayward soul who was bound to destruction. The new person that emerges is a resurrected person, the incorruptible person who now belongs to the kingdom of God. You know, in the story of Les Mis, you know, the great hero of the story, Valjean, Jean Valjean, you know, when we meet him at the beginning of the story, he's, he's a crook, he's a criminal who's serving time. And yet when he meets the, the, the old priest, he, he's converted, he, has a, he, he turns his heart and his mind towards God and he's transformed. And in a sense, the old Valjean is gone and he even adopts a new name. Is it Monsieur Madeleine or something like that? I think he does take on the name Valjean later again in the story. But in that moment, you see that the former person is gone and the new man is here. I say that baptism is also a badge of belonging. You know, when you go back to the early history of Israel, they were recognized as a people, not a bunch of uh, random individuals. They passed through the water together. They belonged together. They came together in the promised land. And from then on, it was learning how to live as a community, as the people of God, living in cooperation and unity with one another. And it's the same for the Christian even still today. I know we live in a very individualistic society, and sometimes we, that sense of influence creeps over us as well. But we need to draw back and remember, wait a minute. I may be a Christian, but I'm not here on this earth by myself. I belong to a body, which is the church. We are the people of God together. In the Old Testament, the rite of circumcision was the, the badge, if you like, of belonging it was applied to men. You know, and I have to say, I'm quite glad I was born a Gentile. <laughs> I'm even glad that I'm a Christian because, you know, we don't observe the rite of circumcision anymore. But we are made members. We are admitted to the kingdom of God, male and female, everyone, slave and free, by faith. By faith. 
in Christ. Faith in what Jesus has done for us. Not what we do, but what he has done. That is our admission. And, you know, that faith can be exemplified in lots and lots of lots of different ways in the course of our life. But it comes a point, and Jesus calls for it, to be exemplified by being baptized. It is, and it always will be, the first and foremost way that a person expresses their new allegiance to Jesus. This symbolism of this act, it's so sublime because it celebrates everything that Jesus has done, doesn't it? It recognizes Jesus paying a price that through his death and blood we are washed, we are made clean. By going under the water we recognize his death for us and we join him in that death and when we come out of the water it's celebrating the resurrection that he has won for us as well. We now belong to Christ. We now belong to one another. By the act of baptism, we're publicly reenacting. We're confessing Jesus before the whole world. This is what I was. This is what I am now. And this is who I now belong to. You know, I remember when I was a boy, I, I grew up through the ranks of the boys' brigade. You know, from anchors to juniors to company section. I have to tell you, I love the uniform. I know it's changed a lot since then, but back in my day, <laughs> it was a bit more militaristic. But you know, it came with, came with all sorts of buckles and belts and lanyards, and oh, it was great. I loved it. And I remember the, 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 the display night when I transitioned from the junior section, and I loved it. Two company section boys came up behind me, were marching, and escorted me out of line, and then we proceeded. And then we made our way to the company section. But I just couldn't wait to get the uniform. You know, was, uh, and then the belt, I love the belt. It was the brass belt and buckle. And uh, you know, it was a competition between squads every week. Who was the smartest, who was the, the, the you know, who looked the best. <laughs> so we did everything to make this belt buckle shine, smoked it with a candle, polished it with brass. <laughs> we did win a fair few types, I have to say. We did. <laughs> But it was that sense of belonging. This is who I am. This is who I belong to. The 162nd Company uh, Glasgow. I still remember it. <laughs> but I know we ain't perfect. As I said at the beginning, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We sometimes upset one another. We fall out on occasion. But we don't take ourselves too seriously. We extend grace to one another because you are my family. You are. That's the way it is. That's the way Jesus made it. We are family. Here, as we meet here together, but it was the divisions of the family all over the place. But we are one. We are one, and that was Jesus' great prayer that we would be one. I love that. But the wonderful thing is Jesus loves it even more. You know, I asked at the beginning this morning, have you been baptized? Well, I would encourage you then to do so. Not because I think it's a good idea. But it's because he says so. <laughs> he says, be baptized. Jesus commands it. And it's the next step in following, having become a Christian, 
to be baptized. You will be hard-pressed to find anyone in the New Testament who, on becoming a Christian, wasn't baptized. There's only one exception, and I, I think it was the guy who was on the cross next to Jesus. You can forgive him because, you know, he was otherwise occupied at the time. But Lydia, the lady who sold purple cloth, a Gentile, when she believed, she was baptized. The Philippian jailer, he was baptized. Crispus, the synagogue leader, even Simon the sorcerer, was baptized. And Saul of Tarsus, otherwise we better know him as Paul, the apostle, they were all baptized. And the whole thing about being a Christian is, and that we can't escape it, is that we're called to be witnesses for Jesus. You know, some of us find that easier than others. You know, we're quite gregarious out there. We like to tell everybody about Jesus. Some of us like to keep it a bit low more key. Whatever way or other, Jesus calls us to be a witness to him. You know, and being baptized is one of those rare opportunities when we have the mic. <laughs> and we can tell our nearest and dearest, we can invite them to come and say, you know, for years I've been wanting to share this with you. Come and hear what I want to say. We won't give them the mic, you'll have it. <laughs> and you can just tell them what Jesus has done for you. What the most wonderful thing that Jesus has done. It's a wonderful opportunity. You know, and people are impacted by baptisms. So I want to say to you, just do it. You know, I realize there are probably some questions surrounding the whole idea of baptism and the emphasis that we put on it here at Catalyst Church. There may be some questions bubbling in your mind, and I've got a couple that I might want to address myself. The first one is, I was christened as an infant. Does that count? Well, I can only speak from my own experience. As I said, I grew up in the Church of Scotland. I was christened as an infant. I grew up, and we had a sense of awareness of God, but we did drift away from church. And then came a moment when I realized my condition before God, I was fallen, I wasn't a Christian. I needed to make a decision to follow Jesus. And then when I read the scriptures, I was convicted and that's when I made my declaration of faith at the Billy Graham Crusade in 91. But as I continued to read the scriptures, it, I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm believing, now I need to be baptized. It never occurred to me to uh, refer back to my christening as an infant because, well, I had no part in that whatsoever. <laughs> it wasn't my decision. I never made it. Though my parents made it in good faith that I would grow up through the church and one day uh, confirm that. I, I went back to the Church of Scotland and I did receive a sort of re-baptism, if you like. Um, I think the minister was kidding me on because he was talking about getting a skip and I was like, yeah! That sounds fantastic. You know, I want to do it like they do it in the Bible. Uh, but alas, he was only teasing me. A skip never appeared. I got the, the, the sprinkling on my head, which is fine. You know, I must admit, I did regret it. I thought, I would have liked to have seen a lot more water. <laughs> you know, I want to do it. I want to do it like the book. I want to do it like Jesus did it. I want to do it like Paul did it. I want to, I want to live by the book. And so... 
if that's you, I mean, maybe you have grown up a Christian, but maybe you've never had that opportunity to make that public stand of say, say, hey, I'm all for Jesus. I'm in allegiance with him. And I want the whole world to know. So I want to be baptized. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Something like Bob the Builder. <laughs> Other question might be, is it too late? You know, I made a, 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 a decision years ago to be a follower of Jesus, but I never quite got the opportunity, or it just never availed me to have the opportunity to be baptized. You know, there will always be a, a transition period between the point of believing and the point of baptism. That's the way it works. You don't get baptized, then you believe. You believe first, <laughs> then you get baptized. Baptism itself means nothing. It always follows believing. So if you're a believer, but yet you've never went forward for baptism, or never had the opportunity to be baptized, even if it was years ago, then I want to encourage you, you still qualify. You can be baptized this Easter Sunday. The other one that some people might dread is, do I need to share my story up front? Yes, you do. Not because we're trying to make life difficult for you, but because it's a public witness. You know, and I've heard Chuck say, it's the easiest speech you will ever make. You know, he, he likened it to the, the, the bride, uh, sorry, the bridegroom, sometimes the bride as well these days, where they say, I'll just like to thank, and before they say everywhere, everybody's applauding and cheering anyway. <laughs> you know, it's, we're not asking for our Lawrence of Olivier uh, delivery. We're just asking you just to share what's in your heart and to say thanks to Jesus. You know, when everybody's in it, have done anything amazing and wonderful for you, you find it pretty difficult to contain a thanks, don't you? It just comes naturally. It spells over. Oh, just, oh, thank you so much. Basically, baptism is an opportunity when we do that. We probably say, you know what? Jesus has rescued me, and it's wonderful, and I want to tell the whole world about it. We're not asking for a half-hour speech. Just an opportunity to celebrate what God has done. And if it still terrifies you, then we can do it like an interview. We can prepare questions. We can talk together so it make it easier. Or to make it even easier, we can even video record your testimony in a dark private room, <laughs> which then we can show on a Sunday morning. The other thing, it just occurred to me, and I, I raise this because I was certainly conscious of it before I went forward for my um, baptism, was the concern and the worry was, I don't have everything figured out yet. I don't feel I've reached the point of perfection in life. If I go forward, does that mean I've mucked it up? You know, I mean, I'm constrained, I must be perfect from now on. No. I mean, we strive to be like Christ throughout the course of our whole life. Baptism is like marking the start of that journey. We're not expecting you to have your life all figured out and perfect and every night in tidy boxes. The only thing that we expect is that you have loved and you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you've submitted your life to him and you're working with him. <laughs> you're striving to be obedient to him. That's all that we ask. We know that we slip up, we fall. I've said it before, we make mistakes. We, we, we still sin, we still fall. But we get back up by the grace of God. And we continue our journey towards the kingdom of God.
So that, my folks, is Catalyst Church. That is baptism at Catalyst Church. So if this has struck a chord with you this morning, if you think, oh, wait a minute, yeah, I, 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 wait a minute, I was baptized, come and speak to us. <laughs> and we would love to baptize you on Easter Sunday.